2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word. We know, Lord, that you have great plans for us this morning as we study it. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning. Help us, Lord, to listen not just for new information, but to actually have you assess what we're obeying or what we're disobeying, the things that we need to change, the things that don't please you, the things that grieve your Holy Spirit, the things that quench your Holy Spirit, the things that bless you. Lord, our hearts are open before you. We want you to speak to us and make us into disciples that you've called us to be. We pray, Father, that you would encourage your people through your word, comfort us, exhort us, all the things that you are so faithful to do as we turn to it. We want a supernatural work of your Holy Spirit this morning. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, normally, as you know, most of you anyway, that we are going through the book of Proverbs, normally verse by verse, but taking a little detour and looking at the Calvary Chapel distinctives, what makes us distinct. Uh, there are many, in many ways, we're a lot like other churches, and in some ways, we're different than other churches as well. And so uh, we have a very well-defined theology and philosophy of ministry. Theology is what we believe and how what we believe relates to the other parts of what we believe, kind of like a systematic theology. We have very specific things that we believe. We also have a philosophy of ministry, which is our approach to ministry, how we implement ministry. You can have great theology and have horrible philosophy of ministry. You can have great philosophy of ministry and have horrible theology. You need both of those things. And so those things are carefully defined, taught, and modeled. At least that's our aim, that they would be modeled. And it's been that way for 57 years in our movement. Pastor Chuck Smith was asked to pastor a church, a small church, I think, of like 15 people in Costa Mesa, California. And it exploded in well, we're 57 years later, and there's over, I think, 16 or 1,700 Calvary chapels domestically and another, I don't know how many more hundreds abroad. So we've been looking at these Calvary distinctives. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at calling as everything. Everything comes from calling. He um, doesn't uh, call the equipped. He equips the called. Everything follows what he's called us to do. We looked at that. Also, last week, we looked at it's Jesus' church. Let him build it. So if you miss those, you can go on our app, and you can catch those or on our website. Um, and everything just kind of builds on itself. But today, I want to look at the priority of the word. And if I were to title this teaching, it would be the priority of the word. Our emphasis on the expositional teaching of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation covering all of the Bible. If you're here long enough, <laughs> uh, you will have been taught all the way from cover 
to cover. And as we looked at last week, when we looked at God's model for the church and how Jesus said he would build his church and so forth, we talked about the preeminence of God's word. We talked about the apostles' doctrine. We looked at Acts 2.42, where they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread and prayers and fellowship, all those things. And part of that was the apostles' doctrine. We also looked at Ephesians chapter 4, where we're told that the office gifts, you know, apostle, evangelist, um, pastor, teacher, all, all those office gifts there equip the saints for the work of ministry. But the word of God is the foundation upon which all those things are built. Because if we don't have the word of God, we don't know what an apostle is. We don't know what a pastor teacher is. We don't know what an evangelist is or a prophet. We don't know what, what biblical fellowship is. We don't know what breaking of bread, the significance of it is. We don't, so the, fa- gospel, the, the, the word of God is the foundation of everything else. And so we're going to look at its preeminence and its importance uh, in, related to what we believe and all of that. It's very critical. If you love the word of God, you're going to like hearing about how amazing it is from scripture itself. It's very important. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Think about that for a moment. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. So if we allow God to build our lives upon God's word, it's lasting forever. We're lasting forever. We're going to get new bodies. We're going to live with, with the Lord for eternity. So we're not fools for following his word. And it's sad because so many people are lost. They have, they're rudderless in this world. They have no, no way or means by which to test truth besides their goosebumps. Have you heard that? Ooh, goosebumps. You know, I mean, that's great. I'm not against, I'm not anti-goosebumps. You know, I'm not against them. I don't know that they're, they're the way that we decide if something's true or not. Uh, there's, there's something a lot more significant than that, and it's God's word and so forth. We also, we're also told in John chapter 10, verse 35, that the scriptures cannot be broken. They cannot be broken. So heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. His scriptures, his word cannot be broken. And here's a scripture that you may not have heard of, especially if you're not used to being around um, Calvary chapels. It's Psalm 138, verse 2, which tells us this. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Now, his name is not a thing that we would think of as a name. It's talking about his character, his essence, and so forth. When someone says, oh, that man over there, he has a, he has a good name. Well, you're not saying how great the word John is. You know, you're saying he has great character. He has great integrity. It's who he is and all of that. And God magnifies his word above his own name. He, that's how much he venerates his word, and, and lifts up his word. The very first thing that was attacked, the very first sin was pride in heaven with Lucifer having pride in his heart, being cast down to earth. But the very first sin, or the very first temptation, was Satan tempting Adam and Eve and saying, has God said? 
The very first thing was questioning God's word. It goes all the way back to the garden where God's word was attacked. No wonder it's under attack today. If there's ever been a time where the church needs to stay true to God's word, it's now. But unfortunately, even that's being compromised in many parts of the church because people are leaving pastors, and I hold them accountable. Pastors are leaving God's word. They're not teaching God's word like they should. And I'm not saying we don't have room for improvement. Of course we do. But there are absolutely leaving God's word in droves. It's very sad. And the church, because of that, isn't becoming healthy, isn't becoming disciples. They're becoming more like fans where they just love something. But there's no, when things get tough, you follow the Lord no matter what. And you stay true even with persecution. We haven't even had persecution really yet in this country. And people are caving. And it's, a lot of it has to do with the leaders not teaching the scriptures and not making disciples. Usually people call what I do up here preaching. And, and the word preaching in Greek means to proclaim. So in that sense, yes, I am proclaiming God's word. I am teaching God's word and so forth. But really what we like to say in Calvary chapels is that you preach the gospel, but you teach the word. Because usually the context of the word gospel has to do with preaching, proclaiming, heralding the gospel to unbelievers. But when it comes to the word of God, we teach it. We teach God's word. You see that over and over in the book of Acts, they taught the word of God. So sometimes they'll say, well, you know, I'm teaching the Bible, but then all of a sudden I start really getting worked up and everything, and I'm starting to talk in ways that I normally would talk and getting all fired up, and, oh, he's preaching now. It's like, that's not, where is that? There's, it's not, that's not biblical. It's not horrible that people say that. I'm just saying the point is that we're called to teach the word. And Pastor Chuck modeled this in our movement. And I love the origins of it because he's totally honest he was in another denomination before Calvary Chapel got going, and he was in Huntington Beach. I love this story. He used to tell this story in class when we were in class. He told it multiple times, not caring that we'd already heard it, uh, because he wanted us to have it drilled in us. But he talked about the fact that he loved Huntington Beach, and he loved to surf. Any surfers here? Man, where, where's, all the, where's all the surfers here? Uh, I'm not a surfer, so I shouldn't say anything, but... Um, what I do in the ocean is kind of like water gymnastics. It's just tumbling, you know. It's, uh, it's not pretty. Um, but he was a surfer, and he wanted to stay there in Huntington Beach for the rest of his life. He, he loved how his kids were in good schools and all of that. He just loved that, and he, just, and he only had three years of sermons. He's, he didn't know about teaching through the Bible yet. So he would run out of servants, sermons, and he'd have to move to another church. You have a new pastorate. And, and, and then, so he did, but he didn't want to leave there, so he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll get Griffith Thomas's outline of the book of 1 John, and I'll teach through 1 John. So he's doing it for selfish motives, but God's gracious. And it's so amazing how he taught through 1 John, people got saved, the church grew, and all of that, and he was shocked. He just like, wow. And then he was thinking, you know what? If I teach the entire Bible, I could be here the rest of my life. 
So he started teaching through other books. He taught through Romans, and that's where the whole doctrine of grace just completely did its work in his life through the book of Romans, studying through the book of Romans and all of that. And then, but eventually, this denomination moved him on because he was having so much success, they wanted him to help, have, be helpful in other churches. And he's like, man, I don't want to leave Huntington Beach. But he left and all of that. But then he started just teaching through the Bible. And then, you know, it just grew. And, and he just realized that, God's word needs to be taught, and God's people need to be fed, and, and they're blessed. And he was beating the sheep. This is his own testimony. He was beating the sheep. Why aren't you preaching the gospel? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? But he was starving them, and he wasn't feeding them. And, and so for us, we have to recognize God wants us to be fed. And so we're called to, to teach the word of God. Now, now, Jesus challenged Peter's love for him. You remember that at the end of the book of John? And he basically equated Peter's love for him by how much he fed and tended the sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, tend my lambs. There's so much that he didn't say there because it's a big enough job to properly feed God's sheep and to tend them. It means to take care of them. But sadly, there's so many pastors, and I, I'm not critical of them in the sense of thinking that they're evil or anything like that. They just haven't been taught or haven't been modeled for them, and they're in denominations or movements that don't teach them this. And I feel bad for them because I'm no smarter than them. But they feel like, I have to do all this other stuff to grow the church. I have to grow the church. But again, last week we talked about Jesus said he would build the church. He didn't, he didn't call me to build the church. He called me to build it up, but he hasn't called me to build the church. And so they, have, they get trapped in this stuff, and they use all these techniques and all these things to try to grow the church. And, you know, you go to conferences, and they ask you, you know, how many are you running these days? And it's like, you know, am I a rancher? Or, you know, what, what does that mean? How many are you running, you know, and talking about numbers and all these things? And, and so we have to recognize that the foundation of everything has to be his word. And it's harder and harder these days. There's, we went over this last week with all the different models, the business model, the seeker model, the signs and wonders model, like all these models for what the church is supposed to be about. And it's sad when you go into a church and the pastor reads a verse and launches from it and never comes back to it again. And he tells, you know, endless stories and quotes and all these great things, but he never really taught the Bible at all. And it's, and, and I'm not above that. You're like, okay, we'll get to the verses now. You've been, it's been a while. Uh, but don't say amen to that. You can't say amen to that. Uh, but, you know, the, the point is there's all these different things that, that, that's out there online for pastors. Did you know there's a, there's a website, sermons.com, where you can go and get your whole teaching for you, all done for you, and then, you know, it's just like everybody's teaching the same thing and, and, and all these kind of self-help principles packaged in, you know, this, the scriptures in a sense and and you read it, and you're going through those things, and you're saying to yourself, that's not what the passage is about. How many of you guys have been in a church where someone's teaching the Bible, and you're going, that's not what the passage is talking about? Anyone? Yeah. Too many hands. Too many hands. We should give the context. We should give the application related to what it's actually saying, what it's meaning, and all of those things. And, and so often there's times where people are quoting from all these other authors, but they're not quoting from the Bible authors. They're not cross-referencing. Remember, one of the protections for us is that Scripture interprets Scripture. So we have to balance what we're looking at by what the rest of what Scripture says. And we have to be responsible in that way. 
you know, there were times in the past and even today when you get into a certain part of the body of Christ where miracles, like they have to see a miracle every day or, or something's wrong. And they'll say, well, the service kind of got out of control so much that the preacher didn't even get a chance to preach. And that's, it was amazing. It was successful and, and all of that. That's not successful. Because what brings maturity, what Jesus said that you shall know miracles and the miracles shall set you free. No, he doesn't say that. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And there's so many things related to how we grow, and so much of it is based on the Word of God. So we need to look at what Scripture says about God's Word. So let's do that. Let's look at our passage, and we're going to look at another one too. 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16, notice the first word in the verse is the word all. Now as Calvary Chapel pastors and other pastors that are healthy and biblical and all those things, they don't miss that word all. But because all means what? There we go. It's not complicated. All means all. In the original Greek, too, it means all. And all scripture, well, so for us, what would all scripture be? Now, when Paul was writing this to Timothy, Revelation hadn't been written yet. So Paul wasn't meaning Revelation for him and those people, but we know the application today is Revelation and all the later books that came because it's part of all scripture. We know that. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means Leviticus. It makes me so mad when pastors say, don't worry, we won't be studying Leviticus tonight, as if that's some horrible thing. Study the book of Leviticus. It's amazing how beautiful it points to Christ. It's amazing how all the offerings and all that had to happen a certain way. We can't just approach God any way that we want to. It's beautiful. Every single verse in Leviticus is beautiful. All scripture, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through, every part of God's word is important. But go and try to find, right now, go online, try to find a church service teaching through the book of Deuteronomy, or Leviticus, or Micah, or Jeremiah, or Isaiah. Go and try to find that. Very difficult. But how can this scripture mean all scripture? If, I mean, if, if we're called to, it does all these things that it says in these two verses, then why wouldn't we teach those things in church? Well, they say, well, because, you know, you need to do that in your own devotions. You need to read Leviticus in your own devotions. Like, well, why? Why aren't you teaching it? Why aren't you teaching all of scripture? Genesis to Revelation, every part of God's word, we need all of it. If we're, if we're not taught those things, then we're missing out on what God has for us. You know, Jesus talked about the whole entire Bible is of, is of him, is of God. And so we have to have all of it. And notice he says it's given by inspiration. It's a gift to us. An inspiration of God means God breathed. That's what inspiration means. It means God breathed. And he says it's profitable for doctrine. Sometimes we see or hear people comment about doctrine is really bad. Like it's a bad thing. Doctrine's great. Doctrine is beautiful. It's the truths of God. It's how God's revealed what truth is. I mean, this world is careening out of control. There's lies everywhere. There's people telling false things. There's people debating on social media. There's all this, all this noise out there. Then the worse it gets, the more, for me anyway, I want God's word. I am tired of man's lies. I want God's word. So refreshing. It never changes. It doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat things in his word. He's not worried about his poll numbers. 
He just says it how it is and means what he says and it says what it means and that's it. J. Vernon McGee used to say, sermonettes for Christianettes. You know, I mean, we're, we're called to feed on God's word. It's, it was good, for, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. How many messages are out there never challenge us? How many teachings out there never tell us the hard things that we need to hear? Pastor Chuck used to tell us, give them the vegetables and the meat. Don't just give them the sweets. Give them everything. What kind of parents would we be if we only gave our kids Pop-Tarts or desserts? We, wouldn't, we would probably get a call from CPS you know, or whatever. You have to give your kids things that are nourishing, that they need to have. That's what reproof and correction is. Don't get mad at me when I'm teaching God's word and you're convicted about something, he's correcting something in your life. I'm just teaching God's word. But you need to hear it. God doesn't correct us because he doesn't like us. He corrects us because he does love us. We don't correct our kids because we're against them and we don't like them. We correct them because we love them and they need to hear these things. He also says for instruction in righteousness. Not a lot of books about holiness out there at the Christian bookstore. Wherever you can find a Christian bookstore, they're going away now. But righteousness. We need to seek righteousness. We need to seek things that are pertaining to holiness and pleasing God and all of that. God's word deals with us. You know, there are people that come in and they're, they're looking for a little self-help message and we're going through a passage and there's nowhere to hide in the scriptures. It's like it exposes us for who we are. Trust me, I know I'm going through it before Sunday. I'm studying the Bible, but it's studying me way more than I'm studying the Bible. And I'm repenting and like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get here on Sunday. I'm the only one that's convicted. I mean, I'm going to teach his word, you know, and... We go over it, and people, they're, they're dying. They're, they're struggling. They, they're looking at their watch, making sure I see them look at their watch. They're miserable. They don't, want it. they don't want God. They want prosperity, and they want to save their life. But Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. They're not interested in taking up a cross daily and following God. They just want to have all the goodies and no death to self. No dying to, the, to themselves every day. Not growing in holiness. God tells us all of that. It, this book is not a man-centered book. It's, it's a God-centered book. God's at the forefront. He's the subject. And getting our eyes off ourselves and onto others, that's what he's about. Loving one another. You're not going to see that if you're just... And the beautiful thing about going through all of the Bible is you get the content and the proportion in which God revealed it. So I can't have pet doctrines... And that's all I'm talking about is prophecy or whatever and staying away from the controversial things. Oh, that's a hot-button topic in, in this culture. I'm not going to teach on that as if God left, left it up to me. He doesn't. I have to teach all the Bible, whether you get mad at me about it or not. I have to teach the whole Bible and nothing but the Bible, so help me God. And then he says, in verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He wants us complete. It's talking about maturity. If we're on this endless quest for prosperity and all these things that make my life great and no trials, no worrying about sin, no focusing on others and all of that, then I'm not mature. I'm not a disciple. I'm not someone that God can use in a uh, um, substantive way. But that's what he wants for us. And he wants us not just equipped. Notice the word thoroughly. Thoroughly equipped. Sometimes we can get content with our level of maturity, and he hasn't left us, left us up to 
to decide how mature we're going to be. He wants us to be as mature as he wants us to be. So he wants us thoroughly equipped for every good work, every good work, not just ones we're interested in, but every good work that he's called us to. Those two can be two different things. He can call us to great works, good works that are not on our radar screen, nothing that we would think of for ourselves, but he arranges it and we're in the middle of it and he tells us to walk in those things. That's what he uses his scripture for. And not just any scripture, all scripture. Every bit of scripture. I love the fact that when Paul's writing to Timothy here, he's writing to him from prison. It's his last letter. He's writing Timothy like his last thing he's going to write to him. And he's talking about God's word. He's talking about the importance of equipping people and all of that. You know, we're going through the book of Ephesians, the men and women on, on Wednesdays. And Paul was in Ephesus longer than he was any other city in the New Testament. Three years. And he trained them and he trained those elders and, and he poured into those uh, disciples and all of that. Eventually Timothy would pastor that church and eventually John the Apostle would pastor that church too for a season and but then even with all of that with with the with the Ephesian elders being poured into and Timothy and John the Apostle and all of that still at the very end Jesus writes a letter to the book to the city the church of Ephesus and tells them that they've lost left their first love And so all of these things, even with all of that, we have to be on guard because those things can wane in our hearts and we can let that light and that love die out over time. And part of that is because we're out of God's word. If you're dry today, if you're dry, it's likely you haven't been in God's word. Maybe you have. I'm not saying that that can't happen when you're in God's word. But so often I've found that it's because we're not having a steady diet of God's word. Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, I've said this many times, that it's so true. If you only ate once a week, you wouldn't expect to be physically healthy. And it's the same with our spiritual maturity. You can't expect to be spiritually strong if you only eat spiritually once a week, or once a month, or once a year. You have to have a daily intake of God's word. And one of my mentors said, our, our, our ministries will never rise above our personal devotional lives. And it's true. Any counseling appointment I have, one of the first things I ask, I ask them to describe their personal devotional life. And that, that tells me a lot. It doesn't tell me everything by a long shot, but it tells me a lot. One of the things that Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 26, is this. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. Some of the other translations say the whole will of God. doesn't matter. Because God's will is God's word and God's word is God's will. Try to say that fast in front of people. I practiced. No, I didn't. But he said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I have not taught you the whole counsel of God. I'm hoping one day I can say that. I can't say that till I've taught every book of the Bible, which I haven't yet. But Lord willing, that'll happen one day. But that's so important. The whole counsel of God. Again, all scripture. 
But again, go try to find someone teaching through Obadiah today. The whole book, verse by verse. It's very difficult, and it's sad. Now I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 4 as we look at another passage. While you're turning there, Pastor Chuck used to say to us, sheep hunger for what you feed them. If you feed them garbage or you feed them fluff, they're going to hunger for that. But if you feed them God's word, they're going to hunger for God's word and they're going to be healthy. I've never forgotten that. You know, our flesh doesn't want to hear God's word. I don't know if you know that. Our sinful nature would rather not hear it. And it's something that we have to have incrementally increase in our lives is our hunger for God's word. I pray for that regularly for our church, that we would, incre- that we would exponentially have a hunger for his word. Pray that for our kids, our youth. We just prayed before service for our youth, for, for them to grow in their walk. Hebrews chapter 4, I want to begin reading in verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's living and powerful. It's living. Think about that. It's alive. And it's so powerful. Spurgeon, that great 19th century preacher, used to say, I don't have to defend the Bible any more than I have to defend a lion. You just let the lion out, and it'll take care of itself. Now, we need to earnestly contend for the faith. That's for sure in Scripture. But God's Word is God's Word. It's powerful. You ever wonder why I read it, and then I go back and read it again when we're going through it, You've already heard God's word twice before I even get to teaching it. That's done on purpose. Because of my confidence in the power of God's word. I could just get up here and read scripture, and I can already tell that there's things going on in the room. Just reading scripture, I can already sense it. And I read it again, and there's there's more things that are happening. And there's people that are coming up, coming up to me afterwards, and they're saying, when you said this, it was really encouraging and this really hit me and all of that and sometimes I don't ever remember saying any of those things it's God the Holy Spirit taking his word and getting behind it and applying it in ways that I don't even don't even think about you know there's times when I'm teaching up here I mean there's plenty of repentance that happens before I get up here but there are times when I'm up here and sometimes people will tell me hey I was so convicted when you said this and I'll say me too and they're like well yeah but you were preparing I'm like no while I was teaching it I was, I, was, I was getting convicted and repenting in my heart while I was teaching it. It's supernatural. It does a work even apart from what we can even imagine. That's why it's so powerful just to read God's word. I love the fact that out on our sign, it has Jesus saying, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And I had that put in red on purpose because people are used to Jesus' words being in red. And there are thousands of people that go by here all week long. They're seeing Jesus' words in red. Do you realize what that alone has done in people's hearts? And we'll never even hear about or know about. Wow, I need to be in his word. If I want to be a disciple, I need to be in his word. 
His word is powerful. Look at that verse where he says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit. That's the deepest parts of who we are. Nobody can, no preacher can adequately or pastor tell you the difference between the soul and the spirit in its totality and the difference in all of those things. We can make good guesses, but honestly, none of us truly knows. But there is a, a, a division there that happens. There is a powerful piercing that happens through God's word. Even the joints and the marrow there and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Again, we don't judge God word, God's word. God's word judges us. I'm, I was meeting with a, some Mormon missionaries once and they were telling me I needed to have a burning in my bosom about the Book of Mormon and that I need to pray about God's word. And I'm like, no, God's word is, is analyzing us. It, it, it judges our thoughts and intents of of our hearts and all of those things. And it's true. I mean, God's word pierces through so much. Even our best defense mechanisms are no threat to God's word coming in and hitting us. Now, we can harden our hearts, but God's word will continue to pierce, continue to to, uh, buttress us and and hit us in ways that are so powerful and effective. And, And that's the confidence that we have for God's word. That's why we know it's so powerful. We know it's doing its work. We know that God will get behind it 100%. I don't want God to get behind my ideas and my opinions and my philosophies. I want him to get, which he's not bound to do at all. What what he said he will do is he will get behind his word. That's why the more I teach the scriptures themselves, the more powerful they are. People say, your teaching is very powerful. I'm like, oh, I know it is. (laughs) Not because anything for me. From me, but the fact that I'm teaching his word, he's going to get behind his word every single time. It's so important. Lastly, turn to, to uh, back to 2 Timothy in chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. And I want to read beginning in verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Man, what a powerful set of verses for the preeminence of God's word. He tells Timothy, again, this is his last letter. He's on his deathbed, in a sense. He's in prison. He's going to have his head chopped off. He's at the end of his life, and he says, preach the word. Notice he doesn't say preach from the word. He doesn't say preach about the word. He doesn't say launch from the word. He says preach the word itself. Proclaim that word. Proclaim. Be ready. That means there's preparation that has to happen. Be ready. In season and out of season. And notice what he says. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Why would he have to tell Timothy to convince, rebuke, and exhort? Because he may not have done it otherwise. A true teacher of God's word will reinforce what God's word says while they're teaching it. They will say, 
You need to do this. They will say the hard, difficult things. Exhort means to stir people up, to challenge them. It's not just encouragement. It's actually letting people know where they're falling short, but in an encouraging way, help them understand that they can obey the word of God in that area. It's, it's edifying. It's building up. It's not busting people. It's not being the Holy Spirit. We make a lousy Holy Spirit. Trust me. Our, our job isn't to convict people of sin. But he, but he says to exhort. But he also says rebuke. Can you take rebuke? It has to be done in love, of course. But can you take rebuke? Because a, a man or a woman that's called to teach the word they're called to rebuke at times. They're called to exhort. They're called to convince. They're called to be bold. It's not just positive, encouraging messages. That's what you see. The biggest church in this country, that pastor will never say the word sin. He'll never say the word repent. He'll never say the difficult things. It's all positive, encouraging but it's not so you don't look necessarily at what they're saying as bad as that can be at times you're looking at what they're not saying what they're leaving out and that's sad because God's people need we need all of his truth but notice the teacher's supposed to do it with patience at the end of verse 2 he says with all long suffering and teaching it will require patience it will require being patient and, and long-suffering and to be helping people understand. Because when you convince, when you rebuke, when you exhort, it requires further teaching from other parts of God's word to help them understand the specifics of what you're saying and what you're not saying. It takes care. It takes patience. It takes love to do that. None of us have arrived in that area. All of us are growing in that area, but it requires that. And then he says what's going to happen. Verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Notice the word own desires there. What does that mean? What are, there, what are our own carnal desires? Our own carnal desires are to get what we want in life. It's the whole prosperity thing. Not how God defines prosperity. There is a prosperity in Scripture. But that's not selfish ambition. That's not things that all of our things that we want in this life and we're focused, we have a self-focus. That's what I'm talking about. That's not what we're going to see in God's word. So they're going to, we're going to welcome and want and hire and, you know, promote teachers that back up what they want for themselves. Is that not what we see a lot in, in our culture today? This is what I want. I want all this. I want this. I want that. I want that. This is what I want. This is what I'm working the word to get. They say that. Working the word to get. I need to get this. Claim this. And all of those things. And, and it's according to their own desires. And they will give positions to people that will tell them what they want to hear. And they won't want to hear sound doctrine. Because sound doctrine teaches the opposite of what they want. So obviously, they're not going to put up with that. I believe as we get further and further along, closer to the rapture, we're going to see less and less appetite for God's word and more of a desire for self-man-centered, just get everything I possibly can for myself messages and, and not teaching all of God's word in an increasing way. It says, because they have itching ears, means 
they're not satisfied. When your ear, I don't know if you ever had itching ears. You know, maybe your ears don't itch very much. Mine don't all that much. But if you have an itch, it doesn't have to be your ear. It could be, he's doing ears because they're hearing, talking about hearing messages, teachings. But if you have an itch somewhere and you, it will not go away, it's just incessant and will not just, you'll just scratch it like crazy. It, that's the idea. It's like their, their desire to hear these messages never stops. They just want more and more and more and more. And notice he says they will heap up for themselves. That's talking about a lot. That's talking about many teachers like this. They won't be able to get enough and they'll heap up for themselves these teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So we can't, we always have to guard what we are hearing by the scriptures and say, is this biblical? Is this the context? We need to be a student of God's word and be able to test what people say and hold them accountable. No preacher, teacher, pastor, whoever is above being tested by the word of God. Don't put me in that place. Don't put anyone in that place. Don't just believe what people say. Test it by scripture. That's a protection for you and for a healthy teacher, it's a protection for them. They'll see it that way. That's a protection for me. I purposely say the words notice, look with me, and the verse number on purpose. I put it in my notes so that you will look down. That protects me, and it protects you, and it helps you learn the scriptures. I purposely do that for that reason. I was taught to do that for that reason. We don't want to believe fables. Lastly, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13. He said, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, 13. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. I wish every church in this world would be able to receive that and obey it. Because it would save us from so much heartache and a lack of maturity. This world desperately needs mature believers who are grounded in the scriptures that can test what people say and be mature and be other-centered and not be about supremely about themselves and what they can get, but how does God want to use me related to ministry? Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. That's why we have scripture reading in the beginning of the service. That's scripture reading. Exhortation from the scriptures. We exhort, we stir people up, no matter if it's here on Sunday or on Wednesdays or other nights where we have teachings, to doctrine, all these things, the classes that we have, us promoting Blue Letter Bible during the announcements. That's promoting Bible study and teaching. Everything that we do is centered around these things about making disciples and having you become more and more mature in an increasing way. In closing, I want to read a few verses from Psalm 119. If you haven't read Psalm 119, it's one of the best psalms in the whole book of Psalms because it's about God's word. I just want to read a few. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man, youth, you're in this room right now. Listen up. Psalm 119 verse 9, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Verse 11 of Psalm 119, Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 
Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Psalm 119, verse 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Psalm 119, 105. Lastly, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, this is the psalmist's own personal love and desire for God's word. It's ultimately a personal thing. And we do it collectively as a, as a body and all those things, and we need to and all of that. We've gone over that. But ultimately, you have to have a desire and a hunger for God's word because you can endure Bible studies, you can go to things, you can you know, be there physically, but if your heart is not there and you're disconnected in your heart, it's not going to do any good. And if you're there in your, in your own quiet place every day, seeking God, praying, could be many different places. Your, your quiet place could be in your car while you're commuting. Your, your place could be in your bedroom or your backyard or while you're walking. Or There's many different ways. That's the beauty of being led by the Spirit. There's not one template for all of that. He can lead us in many different ways. But as we're there privately between the Lord and ourselves, having him speak to us, praying and praying as we read through the scriptures and all these things, he builds into our lives a deeper and more substantive hunger for his word. If you're growing in God's word, I just want to encourage you. Keep going. Keep going. Take advantage of the Wednesday night studies. Be consistent on Sundays. Read through books. Study on web, with websites. Take advantage of all the resources that's out there. We have more resources in the history of mankind right now than we've ever had related to being equipped we just have to appropriate those things and take advantage of those things. So we could go on and on in Scripture, obviously, related to the preeminence of God's Word, but that's what we believe. That's what we hold dear to. We want you to be well-fed, well-cared for, mature, growing, serving, other-centered Christians. And, and that's what God has called each one of us to be a part of. May he help us and help us increase in our proficiency to that end. Let's pray together. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that there's nothing like it in this world. Lord, thank you that you have led us to see its importance. But Lord, we're not above getting pride in our hearts related to it or forsaking it or neglecting it. So I pray you protect us as a church. Protect your church, Lord, against apathy and not making it a priority in our lives. Lord, we want to be students of your word. We want to grow, not just in head knowledge, Lord, but we want to grow in our love for you and having you do, its, you do your work in us through your word. Thank you for the privilege of it. And we thank you, Lord, that your word will outlive the heavens and the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.